0: Caring about what others think of you is poison that leads to social anxiety and misery. I teach my patients the 1840 60 rule, which says when you're 18, you worry about what everyone thinks of you. When you're 40, you don't care what anybody else thinks of you. And when you're 60, you realize no one has been thinking about you at all.
1: That's Dr. Daniel Amen, and this is Depression Detox Show Hello and welcome the Depression Detox Show, where we share ideas and stories to help you live a happier life. I am your host, Malik Josephs. Happy Monday. Appreciate you joining me today. And I hope you had a good laugh in today's teaser. And I typically listen to the clips that I find for the show at least, I want to say maybe three or four times. And I tell you that each time that I listen to that particular part in his talk, I laugh just as hard as I did the first time I heard it. So I hope it put a smile on your face and you may also get one or two more laughs in today's clip as well. But aside from the laughs, you'll get an amazing take-home message from Dr. Daniel Amen. And today's talk is meant to encourage you to give yourself the permission to live out your dreams. And then Dr. Amen is going to do that by sharing the, the three most important lessons that he's learned over his lifetime. So without further ado, here's Dr. Daniel Amen, enjoy.
0: Honored guests, family members, and most importantly graduating students. It was 40 years ago, nearly to the day that I stood here as the graduation speaker. My hair was longer and I had more of it. And it was an incredible day filled with fun and a sense of accomplishment. And I am sure most of you are feeling equally happy and excited about your graduation. Congratulations. That day was also filled with anxiety and uncertainty for me. I had been rejected from more medical schools than I would like to say. And I had no idea that I would ever be able to live out the dream I had worked so hard to achieve. I know many of you today are also facing uncertainty about your future. Two months later, I did get into medical school, and that paved the way to a career as a psychiatrist and author that has been blessed beyond my wildest dreams. Success leaves clues. In my brief time with you today, I'm going to give you three of the most important lessons I would tell my 23-year-old self if he were sitting here today. One, I would tell my younger self to pray more about the path in life, my relationships, dear God, about my relationships, (laughs) and the best ways to make a difference while I'm on the planet. Prayer works. People who pray on a regular basis are healthier and heal faster when they get sick. People who are purposeful live longer, and are happier and more connected to others. Let me tell you about one prayer that stands out in my life. It was a Sunday morning in August 2010. I was so happy that morning because I had just finished my book, Change Your Brain, Change Your Body, about the connections between physical health and mental health. When we came to this church, I told my wife, Tana, to drop off our six-year-old daughter, Chloe, at Children's Church, and I would save us seats. As I walked toward the sanctuary, I passed hundreds of donuts for sale (laughs) for charity, which really irritated me. Even though I had seen the donuts at church ever since I was three years old, there is not one healthy thing about donuts. Then I walked by bacon and sausage cooking on the grill and my irritation grew. And just before I walked into the sanctuary, I passed hundreds of hot dogs being grilled for after church. Seriously, I thought to myself, I'm going to church to get my soul fed and these people are trying to kill me. (laughs) Then as I sat down, the minister started talking about the ice cream festival they had the night before. I was furious. When Tana found me in church, I was typing on my phone, which Tana absolutely hates, and she gave me that look that only your wife can give you that says, why are you on that thing in church? Don't you know you're going to hell? (laughs) Then I showed her what I was writing. Go to church, get donuts, bacon, sausage, hot dogs, ice cream. They have no idea they are sending people to heaven early. (laughs) Save them, then kill them. (laughs) This is not the plan. During that service, I prayed God would use me to change the culture of food at church. During the prayer, I wondered how that would ever happen. I was a psychiatrist who looked at people's brains, but if you get to know me, you'll soon learn I have an attitude problem. I just told God it was my prayer. Deal with it. Two weeks later, Pastor Rick Warren from Saddleback Church, one of the largest churches in the world, called me and said, last Sunday, I baptized 800 people. About halfway through, I realized everyone was fat. (laughs) Then I realized I was fat. (laughs) And a terrible example to my congregation, will you help us? I said, you had me from hello. (laughs) Together with Rick and my friend, Dr. Mark Hyman, we created the Daniel Plan a five-step program to get the world healthy through churches. The first week, 15,000 people signed up for the program. Within the first year, they lost a quarter of a million pounds and reported better energy, focus, creativity, sleep, and mood, as well as reductions in stress, blood pressure, blood sugar, sexual dysfunction, which is always fun to talk about in church, and more. Together we wrote a book called The Daniel Plan, which has become an international bestseller. And now thousands of churches around the world have done our program. It started by seeing a need, praying about it, and being available to God. The second thing I would tell my younger self is to always choose passion over money, if you have a way to support yourself. When I was in medical school at Oral Roberts University, I was drawn to two specialties, ophthalmology taking care of eyes and psychiatry taking care of minds. Ophthalmologists made more money and psychiatrists were not well regarded. When I told my dad I was thinking of being a psychiatrist, he asked me why I didn't want to be a real doctor, (laughs) why I wanted to be a nut doctor and hang out with nuts all day long. But when I was a second-year medical student, someone I loved tried to kill herself. And I took her to see a wonderful psychiatrist and came to realize that if he helped her, which he did, it would not only help her, but it would also help her children and even her grandchildren as they would be shaped by someone who is happier and more stable. I fell in love with psychiatry because I realized it has the potential to change generations of people. I have loved psychiatry every single day since then. Choosing what you love, as long as you can support yourself, which is only fair to the people around you, will give you the drive and energy so that work will never really seem like work at all. Lesson three. Stop caring about what other people think of you and do the work God put you on earth to do. Caring about what other people think about... (laughs) Caring about what others think of you is poison that leads to social anxiety and misery. I teach my patients the 1840-60 rule which says, when you're 18, you worry about what everyone thinks of you. When you're 40, you don't care what anybody else thinks of you. And when you're 60, you realize no one has been thinking about you at all. (laughs) People spend their days worrying and thinking about themselves, not you. When I was a young psychiatrist in 1991, I fell in love with the brain imaging work we do at Amen Clinics. We do a study called brain-spect imaging that looks at blood flow and activity. It looks at how the brain works. Here is a healthy scan compared to someone who had two strokes. Here is a 59-year-old woman I diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. Did you know that Alzheimer's starts in the brain decades before you have any symptoms. Now, no matter what your age, is the time to get serious about brain health. Here is a traumatic brain injury scan. Your brain is soft and your skull is very hard. Protect it. Here's a drug addict scan. The real reason not to use drugs? They damage your brain. When I first saw the damage drugs and alcohol did to the brain, I brought these scans home to my four children and effectively induced anxiety disorders in all four of them (laughs) when it came to drug abuse. I was so excited about the brain imaging work we were doing, but got a lot of blowback from my colleagues who said said the scans were just for research. They called me bad names for pioneering their use, but I would have none of it. My eyes were not deceiving me. Did you know that psychiatrists are the only medical doctors who virtually never look at the organ they treat? Think about it. Cardiologists look, neurologists look, orthopedic doctors look. In fact, all other medical specialists look, but psychiatrists guess and literally throw medication-tip darts in the dark at people. I knew we could do better And so began my war with the profession I loved to start looking at the brain and acting like real doctors. But at the time, I had two personal flaws that got in the way of pioneering any new innovation in psychiatry. One, I wanted to be liked. And now I was being a disruptive force in my specialty, which meant many people didn't like me very much. Two. I hated conflict and avoided it whenever I could, which made it harder to fight for what I believed in and caused me to withdraw for years and stop talking about our work until I got a call late one night in April 1995 from my sister-in-law, Sherry, who told me that my nine-year-old nephew, Andrew, who's also my godson, attacked a little girl on the baseball field that day for no particular reason. Feeling shocked, I said, excuse me? She said, Danny, he's different. He's mean, he doesn't smile anymore. I went into his room today and found two pictures he had drawn. One of them, he was hanging from a tree. In the other picture, he was shooting other children. In retrospect, Andrew was Columbine, Sandy Hook, or Parkland, Florida, waiting to happen. I told Sherry I wanted to see him the next day. When I walked into my office and saw Andrew sitting on the couch, my heart melted. I loved this child and was terribly worried about him. I said, honey, what's going on? He said, Uncle Danny, I'm mad all the time and I don't know why. I asked, is anybody hurting you? He said, no. Is anybody teasing you? He said, no. Is anybody touching you in places they shouldn't be touching you? I'm searching for answers to his senseless behavior. He said, no. My first thought was, you have to scan him. My next thought was, you know we're always talking to ourselves, is you want to scan everybody. You know, maybe it's because he's the second son in a Lebanese family. You're the second son in a Lebanese family. Then all of a sudden, the rational voice in my head said, stop it. Nine-year-old children do not attack people for no reason. Scan him. If his scan is normal, then you can explore other reasons for his behavior. I went to the imaging center with Andrew and held his hand while he held his teddy bear and got scanned. When his brain scan came up on the computer, Andrew was missing the function of his left temporal lobe. It turned out he had a cyst the size of a golf ball occupying the space where his temporal lobe should have been. By that time in 1995, we had already correlated the left left temporal lobe issues to violence. I called Andrew's pediatrician and asked him to find someone to drain the cyst. A few weeks later, the pediatrician called me back and said that he talked to three neurologists, and none of them recommended we do anything about the cyst, and it probably had nothing to do with his behavior. He told me they wouldn't operate on him unless he had real symptoms. Furious. I said, let me get this right. I have a homicidal, suicidal boy. What do you mean by real symptoms? I think they mean seizures, or he." has speech problems, he replied defensively. This is insanity, I replied and hung up. And I called the pediatric neurosurgery department at UCLA and talked to Jorge Lazareff, who later became famous for separating the Guatemalan twins who were connected at the head. He was famous to me before then because when I told him about Andrew, he said when cysts are symptomatic, we drain them. Obviously, Andrew is symptomatic. No kidding, I thought to myself. When Andrew woke up from surgery, I received two calls. One from Sherry, his mother, who was so relieved. She told me the surgery went really well and that when Andrew woke up from surgery, he smiled at her. She said, Danny, he hadn't smiled in a year. The second call was from Dr. Lazarev, who said, Oh my God, Dr. Amen, the cyst was so aggressive and had put so much pressure on Andrew's brain that it actually thinned the bone over his left temporal lobe. His skull was now eggshell thin. If he had been hit in the head with a ball, it would have killed him instantly. Either way, Andrew would have been dead in six months if you hadn't persisted. It's a day I'll never forget. That day, I lost my anxiety about the brain imaging work we do and didn't care if people criticized me. 999 psychiatrists out of 1,000 would have medicated Andrew or put him in therapy. Not looking at the brain is not science. It's not medicine. It's stupidity, and we can do better. Now, 23 years later, Andrew is happy, married, employed, and owned his own home. Because someone looked at his brain, he's been a wonderful son and husband and will be a better father and grandfather. Because I prayed, chose passion over a paycheck and stopped caring about what other people thought of me, I was able to be where God needed me to be, and that is what I pray for you today. May God bless you in all your endeavors for him Big thanks
1: to Dr. Amon for stopping by. You can connect with him by visiting his website danielamonmd.com His Instagram is doc His YouTube is Amon Clinic and his book that was just released this past. March is entitled "You Happier: The Seven Neuroscience Secrets of Feeling Good Based on your Brain type. And if you want to hear the last time we had them on the show, you can go back and check out episode number 120. All right? Don't forget to follow the show, share it or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcast and Spotify Podcast. I truly, truly appreciate you for taking the time out. so thank you for that. And that is a wrap for me. I hope you have a great rest of your day, and I'll see you back here Wednesday. So, until then, stay strong. Later.